Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Book of Acts, book of Acts, chapter 20, uh, verse 7. I want to read to you a, a story that you probably read before on your own. It's a pretty popular story in the Bible, but I was just reading the story just the other day, and God spoke to me, showed me something that I'd never seen before in the text. And when I got invited to be here, I just felt like, man, right away, that this was the word that I was supposed to share, which for me, that's that's... That doesn't happen often. I usually won't know what I'm going to preach until I show up or maybe in this moment right now, it's going through my mind. Uh, but it was something special when, when Ben texted me and said, hey, can you come out on these dates? And when they worked out, I just knew that this was the message that I was supposed to preach, which excites me because I just really feel like in this moment, something great's about to happen. I don't know what I'm preaching in the next service, but in this moment, this, this word is for you. So Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, it says, we met on Sunday to worship. And celebrate the master's supper. Paul addressed the congregation. Our plan. I love this. Listen, listen to the tone of the writer. He says, our plan was to leave first thing in the morning. But Paul talked on and on and on. Way past midnight. How many of you like those, those services where they go a little bit past an hour, a little bit past the time? My Pentecostals, I love you. So it says, Paul talked on and on way past midnight. We were meeting in a well-lighted upper room and a young man named Eutychus was, was sitting in an open window. As Paul went on and on, like he had to throw that back in there. As Paul went on and on and on and on. Eutychus, he fell asleep and toppled out the third story window, which I just love that it so nonchalantly just states it there. You ever have like one of those moments where like you're doing your devotions and you're just like reading the Bible because like if you follow our Bible reading plan, you just read whatever chapters it tells you to read and like you're like reading and then you just read something pretty morbid, but you don't realize it's morbid because it's the Bible and you weren't expecting to hear about like circumcision or like giants heads being cut off or, or men falling out of windows. So you're just kind of like reading it like, yeah, it was early in the morning and he fell and he died and then Paul, like it's just, it's weird. Like you just, you read this stuff and sometimes you got to stop and think like, like, what did that moment feel like? like? Like, Paul's preaching and someone dies. Can you imagine, like, like Pastor Jensen calls Ben later on, like, hey, man, how'd the service go? Oh, that was good. Chris started well. Uh, I mean, we had a guy fall out the window, but, uh, you know, it, it ended good on a positive note. You know, we did a Young and Free song. Like, what? Like, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's, as Paul went on and on, Eutychus fell sound asleep and, and toppled out the third story window. When they picked him up, he was dead. <laughs> Paul went down, stretched himself on him, hugged him hard, and he said, no more crying. He said, there's life in him yet. The man was dead. There is life in him yet. Then Paul got up and, and served the master's supper. Like we're going to act like that did not just happen. 
no more crying. There's life in him yet. Then we would think, then Paul got sued. No, then Paul got up, served the master's supper, and went on telling stories of the faith. He went on preaching. You ever meet someone that loves to hear themselves talk? Went on telling stories of the fate until dawn. On that note, they left. I love that. And on that note, Paul going one way, the congregation going another. And then listen, leading the boy off alive. And full of life themselves. Which I love because the boy, the boy who died comes back to life. He's, he's living. And as a result of that, the people around him are now full of life themselves. I want to take the next few moments. Probably go on till dawn. And I want to preach to you a message titled, uh, Hope Don't Disappoint. If you're taking notes, can you write that down? Hope, don't disappoint. Let's just pray one more time. This is more for my sake than yours. Father, we come before you now. We tell you that we need you. I pray, oh God, that you would do only what you could do. I pray, oh God, that your Holy Spirit power would roam free in this place. I pray, oh God, that you would have your way and you would speak through your servant. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we all say, Amen. 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 Well, when I first realized that this was the sermon that I was supposed to preach, I got to be honest with you, I got, I got really excited because I knew that I would now be preaching on one of my favorite people ever. I knew that now I would have an opportunity to preach about one of my heroes. See, like I, I love preaching about Jesus. I mean, how could you not love preaching about Jesus? Jesus is amazing. He is the son of God. He's the most important figure in our Bible. But in my opinion, after Jesus, this, this man may be, may be the, the second or the third most important man, disciple in our Bible. His name is Paul. I'm, I'm excited that I get to talk to you about Paul because Paul is just this interesting character. From, from the moment we meet him in the book of Acts, he goes from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. He, he has a moment, right? He has the ultralight beam moment on the, on the road of Damascus. He has this, 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 this experience where he has this transformation and he goes from being this man who was on a mission to kill Christians. Now he goes on this mission to, to bring everybody else become a Christian. And now he becomes excited about building up the church and and through Paul we just get action from beginning to end from from life transformation to now him approaching disciples and calling them out on their two-stepping ways he has no problem with his confidence he has no problem letting people know about the truth this is a man that loves the truth this is the man that loves the church this is the man that has no problem doing whatever it is that God had called him to do and because of Paul, we have the likes of Timothy, right? Timothy, the, the Joe Olstein of the Bible, the, the man who builds this, this amazing church from beginning from the bottom to this, to this huge, enormous thing. This is where we, this is what Paul produces. 
And not only does he, he give us a Timothy, but he also gives us the steps on how to raise up a Timothy. And then, and then he goes on to write to the other churches. And now as a result, we arguably have half of our New Testament because of Paul. I mean, Paul wrote some of your favorite books from First and Second Timothy to Ephesians to Romans. I mean, this man was a scholar. He was a disciple. He was a teacher. He wasn't just a man that got radically saved. He was an educated man. He was a man that had awards and accolades. People knew him. He was a big deal. He knew how to teach. He knew how to help. He knew how to, how to show people how to live. Paul was not only a disciple, but he was an apostle. But if we're being honest, I can't imagine that he was that good of a preacher. Preachers pride themselves on their ability to communicate. Preachers pride themselves on, on their ability to, to keep the attention of the crowd. What does it say if while you're preaching, someone not only falls asleep, but dies? The next time someone tells you they heard the worst sermon of their life, look back at them and say, yeah, but did you die? But the truth is, I think that that Paul, he knew something that sadly most preachers today have forgotten. He did not care about eloquence. He didn't care about long words. He, he didn't care about what kind of stories or setup he had for his sermon. This was a man that knew something that so many people have forgotten. What he knew was that you could have all the charisma in the world, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, your charisma is not going to bring the death to life. I mean, your ability to preach will be able to maybe fill stadiums, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, that stadium is going to leave that place the same way that they walked in. See, this was a man that was not focused on, on, on making you feel all good on the inside. This was a man that was fixated on sharing the truth and he could care less if you tweeted about him. He could care less if you Instagrammed about him. He could care less if you followed him and talked well about him. He had one job and one job only and that was to bring the truth. This is why he would say in 1 Corinthians too. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Is there anybody in the room that is grateful for the power of God? 
Is there anybody in the room that would say, I don't want a podcast. I don't want another conference. I just want the presence of God. I just want the power of God. I want the signs and wonders. I want the manifestations. I want to see the Holy Spirit work in a major way. Orange County, if you're with me, give your God a shout of praise in this place. I'm not going to concern myself with this. I'm going to keep it about the basics. We're not going to make this thing about anything else. It isn't about one name and one name only. And he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And if you aren't sure of his name, his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the Messiah. All glory and all honor belongs to him and nobody else. This is a man that is, that is focused on, on sharing the truth of the gospel because he knows that it is this truth that saves lives. It is these facts that, that minds are transformed and the healing takes place and salvation could happen. I mean, what's the point if you could smooth talk, but no one's getting saved, no one's getting healed, no one's getting filled. He's focused on one message. That's why I love your pastor so much. He texted me yesterday. He said, he said, I love that church. Just, just give them Jesus. He, he didn't say wow them. He didn't, he didn't say get them to this place where, where they stand and shout. He said, just give them Jesus. I want to be the kind of Christian. I want to be the kind of believer that is not focused on anything else, but giving this hurting world and everyone around it the word of God, which is only found in the name of Jesus. If you are grateful for this name, come on, give your God a shout in this place. It is only and always about Jesus. How is a man that is so on mission, so, so fixated on the power of God? He's preaching nothing about himself. He is only pointing people to Jesus. I think it would be good to note that in the midst of preaching Jesus filled with the power of God, there's still adversity happening all around him, which is important for the Christian to note. Because so often when you think you're in God's will and you're in God's purpose, taking the steps that God has for you, you think that now you should be protected and kept away from any adversary. This is why our response is always, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? When like it was actually happening to you. Paul's in the middle of preaching, and as he's preaching this truth, there is a man that, that falls out the window right away. The, the, the response could have been something else. He's preaching God's word. He's, he's preaching what God had told him. He was obedient. He was a man full of sacrifice, and yet he would have to deal with a scenario like this. He would have to deal with a bad situation. Too often we think because we're believers, because we're saved, that we're saved from bad times. We're saved from death. We're saved from hardship. You're not saved from any of those things. You have been saved by the blood. And as a result, you'll spend eternity in heaven. But while you're on this earth, it doesn't mean that you're not going to experience bad times. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience hardship. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience death. It just means as you're doing God's will, those things are going to be happening. But although they're happening, they shouldn't be stopping you. 
And I feel like that's a word for somebody because you have been serving in your church, maybe volunteering. Maybe you've been helping out in the parking lot. Maybe you've been in an internship. Maybe you've been sharing people with, with your coworkers about Jesus. And, and as a result, maybe something bad happened to you in another area of your life. And you're trying to figure out, God, I was, I was just being obedient. Why would this happen? Because just because you're being obedient doesn't mean that you are exempt to the attacks. It is important to note that God is not the only one aware of the fact of God's power on the inside of you. The enemy is just as aware. And if he knows you have God's power, then he's going to hit you with everything that he got. He's going to attack you with everything he got. So the next time you have that random argument with your spouse, when you walk out of doing ministry or you walk out from church, or maybe there's an attack on your child, that is not the time to start fighting and arguing. That is the time to start praying and interceding. Because just because you are doing God's will does not mean that you are exempt from hardship. And what I love about Paul is that this is a man that does not seem to be phased by hard times. You could tell by his, his response that God's power was on the inside of him. And the truth is, I'd rather be in Paul's shoes than Eutychus' shoes. Because what's Paul dealing with? Paul is dealing with bad happening around him. But Eutychus is dealing with death on the inside of him. Allow me to suggest to you that Eutychus was dead way before he fell out that window. The moment you find yourself so comfortable in the presence of God that you could fall asleep in church and you could get so used to everything going on, I want you to know you've already found yourself in a bad place. The fact that he falls out the window, that was more for his saving than most realized. Because in that point, to be completely dead would say he's completely cold. But to be sitting in the church, hanging out while the preacher is preaching, but nodding off. But the fact that you're there, well, you think in your mind that gives you brownie points. You think the fact that you showed up in the room, it makes you look good. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God, rather you be hot or cold, because the lukewarm, he's spitting out of his mouth. I don't want to deal with the lukewarm. If you find yourself not impressed anymore by the worship, if you find yourself not impressed with the preaching, if you find yourself not impressed with the church, maybe it's not that the church is in a bad place. Maybe it's not that the worship is in a bad place. Maybe you're in a sleeping place. And please understand there's a huge difference between sleeping and being rested. God wants you to be rested, but he never wants you to fall asleep. He never wants you to find yourself that you're so comfortable in his presence that you just disregard it. Oh, they're going to sing that song again. Oh, they're going to they're going to preach on that sermon again. Psh, Peter walking on the water. My goodness. Uh, well, I guess what are you going to do? Oceans at the end of that one. I mean, my. It, it, it's amazing how how we'll minimize an experience to, to what to what can actually impress me as opposed to what's actually being imparted. Come on. 
It's not about necessarily preaching the scripture that you've never heard or, or bringing out the song that you've never heard or bringing out the chords that you didn't expect or, or having a song tagged on to the song that you didn't think that they would go into. It's not about any of that. It's being in a place where you're so in love with Jesus that if you find yourself in an atmosphere where they're glorifying Jesus, then you're worshiping and you're praising and you're responding. It doesn't matter if they're not that good of a preacher. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they sound like. If their spirit is right, then that's enough for me. I'll stand up, I'll lift my hands, and I'll shout to my God. The intelligent lighting's not working? Not a problem. The seats aren't comfortable? Not a problem. Is the presence of the Lord here? Then that's all that I need. If there's anybody that would say, all I want is the presence of God, why don't you stand up and give your God a praise break in this place? For the one that's fighting to stand, it's good for you to stand. It's good for you to shout. He can ask me to shout again? Absolutely. Because you can never honor your God enough. You can never honor your Jesus enough. You can shout it a privilege. You don't want me to shout? I'm going to shout. Is Jesus in the blood still not that strong enough? Does it still not impress you? If it's that potent... If, if, that's, if it's that great, if you had to stand the whole time, who cares? You serve a God that died for you. And I never want to be that kind of Christian. Shows up in the church. What allows me to become so rested? What allows me to, to choose that seat? That there's possibly the, the, the exit. You know the people that that's intentionally sit close to the exit. Like the building's not even packed yet. They come early so that they could leave early. Like the last service, they stood in that back seat. And when everyone cleared out and they said, sir, you got to clear up. Like, no, no, I'm actually here for the next service. Because they want to be as close to the exit as possible. Why? Because this thing became more about a routine than it did about honor. It became more about saying that I was there on that Sunday. I did my three Sundays this month. I gave him my tithe. I gave him my offering. I made sure that they saw me. Church is not about being seen. It's about experiencing the presence of God. It's about giving honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in a corporate setting with your brothers and your sisters. The best thing that ever happened to Eutychus was that he died. Because the fact that he died gave him the opportunity to now come back to life. Everybody would have looked at him and thought, oh, he's, he's all good. He's in church. But the fact that he died, it, it caused a reaction. It, it caused a response. Now people started to pay attention to him. They weren't paying attention to him before because he got lost in the crowd. But now people started to pay attention. Why? Because he had died. And what I love about Paul is that not even death scared him. He's in the middle of one of the toughest services in history. I am a preacher. I preach often. I've had way more bad sermons than I've had good sermons. You know what's a bad sermon for me? The people didn't respond the way that I wanted them to. The one point that I had written down, I forgot to share it. 
I shared that really funny story that in my mind I thought everybody was going to laugh at and they didn't really laugh. Like in my mind, that's a bad service. That's a, that's a bad, that's a bad sermon. But can you imagine someone dying? What I love about Paul is that he knew that he wasn't there to be glorified. He was there to offer life to these people. This is why death didn't faze him. This is why a bad scenario didn't shake him. This is why a troubled time did not stop him. This is what's so amazing to me that his response is to respond like he did. When I read this the other day, this is where I was stumped and I started to pray, God, I want to be like Paul. That when hardship shows up, when bad times happen, that this would be my response. That I, that I, wouldn't, just, that I wouldn't just give up. Like, like when I preach a bad sermon, I, I go home and I drown myself in ice cream and Taco Bell and, and, and two liter bottles of soda. And I drink way too much soda. And then I go to sleep and I have stains all over my shirt. I'm like, Jairus, I tell my wife, Jairus, I'm done. I'm done. They didn't laugh. I'm done done but the truth is I, I think in those moments when when we experience something when when things don't go our way it's important to note that that is going to happen bad times and hard times they're inevitable they are going to come your way the question is how do you respond to them i find it so interesting that this man eutychus his name actually stands for good fortune. My question to you is, what do you do when good fortune goes out the window? What do you do when hard times happen? What is your response when the marriage isn't going so well? When the, when the job tells you they may have to lay some people off, when they tell you that they're making budget cuts, when the school calls and tells you that your sons and your daughter were involved in some stuff, what is your response? Is it to run? Is it to binge? Is it to gamble? Is it to try to figure it out in your own way? Or is it to get before God full of faith, encourage the people around you and bring home? Oh, I love Paul. In the midst of death, in the midst of death, he's encouraging the people around him. Stop your crying. Stop your crying. Not, not oh, do, do you think they're going to blame me? Not, oh, do, do, well, what do you think is going to happen? Stop your crying. Why? Because he knows that whatever trial, whatever tragedy, there is no tragedy great enough that should stop him from being the man of God that he's been called to be. And this is where I feel like we're at. I feel like there are a lot of you, you are dealing with hardship. You're dealing with some tough times right now. And God is saying, listen, the tough times are going to are going to happen. What I'm trying to get out of you is a different response. How do you respond? Are you willing to, to look at your dead situation, 
the death that's around you and encourage the people around you. Stop your crying. Stop your crying. There is life in it yet. See, it takes a special kind of man. It takes a special kind of woman to look at a dead situation and say there is life in it yet. Not let's call the divorce lawyers. It's not go up and give up on it. It's not figure out how to get the money. It's not go on ahead and do that thing that you said you would never do because drastic times call for drastic measures. No, there is a life in it yet. How could you look at a dead situation and speak life over it? Because the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. Even though death is around me, there is a life in me. And if there is a life in me, that means I could speak revival. Is there anybody that would say that you believe in the King of Kings and the power of Jesus Christ? then that needs to dictate your response. What does your response look like? Because what I see Paul is, Paul is a man of prayer. Right away, he, he, he gets low. He gets, he gets all the way down. So often we'll go through hardship and we'll pray just these, these nice prayers. And then we'll get upset with God when, when they don't really go the way that we wanted them to go. I mean, you're dealing with the hardest situation of your life, and yet you're responding with the softest prayer you've ever prayed. The prayers that you prayed before dinner are stronger than the prayers that you're praying for your dead situation. The prayers that you pray about so many other things that really don't matter don't even match the prayers that you should be praying for your children, that you should be praying for your spouse, that you should be praying for your boss, that you should be praying for your family. See, what I love about Paul is that he actually gives us an illustration of what we ought to do when we are facing bad situations. What I love about him is not only is he going to have a problem in front of him, he's thinking to himself, I know God, so I I have the solution. I have the solution inside of me. So what does he do? He doesn't. He doesn't just look at it and say, "Well, well in the name of Jesus, uh, uh, God, can you can you help Eutychus? God, would you would you make Eutychus feel better? Maybe. Okay. All right. Well, hey, it could happen. So let's go back to preaching. Some of us. It's too much to get down on a knee to pray. Some of us are like, God, I, I bent the knee. I, I prayed that prayer. I, I opened up to my small group. And, and, and then you all of a sudden you give up because you didn't get the response you want. Maybe, maybe if you wanted to see God on high, do something great. Maybe, just maybe you needed to get just a little bit lower. Maybe, just maybe you needed to humble yourself. Maybe it was good to get down on two knees. But what about getting all the way down and laying on top of your dead situation and saying, oh, there's life in it yet. In the name of Jesus, I need the power of God, the King of Kings, the one that created all, the one that speaks and life comes out of him, the one that when he talks, earth appears. Would you touch this young man right now? Oh, this dead situation. Oh, this hard situation. Oh, God, can you do only what you can do? Allow me to suggest to you the reason why your situations haven't changed is because you haven't been willing to get low for them. Oh, you're good at dishing it out. You're good at complaining and laying it out. You're good at throwing it out. But you are not good on laying out on top of them and speaking life into it. 
What are you dealing with this evening that God wants you to believe him for? What was the thing you gave up on? What was the thing you spoke death over? Instead of saying there's life in it yet, what was your response? Oh, it's, it's long gone. It's time for us to move on. What does your response look like? This is why it's not just church, Christianese, cliche statements. When we say it's always proper to praise. When we say things like you always need to worship and honor God. That even through your storms you worship. When you, it's funny, like when you're dealing with storms, you don't want to see, you don't want to see statements like that. Like you're scrolling through Instagram and they have the picture of the storm and like the nice quote over it. And you're like, shut up. And you know what I mean? Like you just, you keep on going. But the truth is that thing that you're so bothered by is the thing you need to be responding with. That's the very thing you need to be using. That's the very tool you need to be reacting with. Listen, I don't know who's in the room right now. I'm not sure what Eutychuses are in your life. I know at one time it was good, but it's bad right now. I know that it's dead right now. I know it seems like there's no coming back but here's the truth and what we know about our God our whole Christianity our whole faith is contingent on a God that not only died but conquered death which means there is no situation too dead in your life death may be a part of the process but it's not the end of the process it's not the end all be all what did he say to the sisters when they sent word to Jesus about their brother father the one you Jesus the one you love is sick then Jesus shows up and one of the sisters says he died and had you not been here he wouldn't have died and Jesus is looking at him the Bible says Jesus wept why did he why did he cry because they stopped realizing who he was the Bible says that Paul writes it himself actually it says that when you look in the face of Jesus you see the glory of God but in the same text, he writes that God's lowercase g of this generation have blinded the people and it has stopped them from seeing God's glory. It is offensive to suggest that there are any gods that you may put before God, except anything that you deem more powerful than your God is a God. And because you've been looking at that situation and that thing, you can't see Jesus for who he is. Allow me to suggest that when Jesus cries, it's not so much that, that it was too hard of a situation. It was that they were looking at him and they still weren't recognizing him. See, when they should have saw his face, they should have saw the glory of God. If they see the glory of God, then they could say, oh, he's dead, but he's about to come on out. He's about to be risen up, but they don't see it. Why? Because they allowed their situation to rob them from looking on Jesus. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you've been going through. It may be two years, 10 years, 20 years, a few days, but whatever that thing is, the enemy has been using it to rob you from seeing Jesus and the only word that I came to give you today is that there is life in it yet. If you are dealing with a hardship right now, stand to your feet. If you're dealing with a dead situation with your finances, stand to your feet. If your children need a miracle, stand to your feet. If your health needs a miracle, stand to your feet. If you know someone that needs healing, stand to your feet. Lift up your hands and worship your God. You don't have to worship because he's already done it. Worship him because of who 
he is. Oh, there is life in it yet. Church, if you believe that, take the next 40 seconds, take the next 60 seconds, and with everything you got, worship your God. We worship you, God. We praise you, God. Come on, look at your marriage right now. There's life in it yet. Look at your children right now. I know they seem backslidden, but there is life in it yet. Look at the, look at the health. Look at that cancer in the face and say, oh, there is life in it yet. Look at the disease and say, there is life in it yet. Look at the finances and say, there is life in it yet. Look at the small business and say, there is life in it yet. Look at the ministry and say, there is life in it yet. Not because of who you are, but because of the one that fills you. What you don't realize is that inside of you, it is the greatest power to ever exist. And it is the power of God. Lift those hands up. Lift those hands up. Hope don't disappoint. Just don't give up on it. Just don't stop using it. Just don't stop believing. Don't stop speaking over it. If you gave up before the, before the miracle, then you gave up too soon. Yeah, but it's been years. No, you gave up too soon. God won't give you anything more than you could bear or handle. So if it was 10 years, you could have handled it for 10 years. If it was 15 years, you could handle it for 15 years. And I'm not trying to minimize your scenario. I'm just trying to point out to you that you've minimized your God. Because although you're going through it, you're not dead. And you serve a God that even if you were, he can bring it back to life. Jamie, can we sing that? Lift up your hands. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.